welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing our series through the Beatitudes, and today we come to Matthew 5, verse 9, which says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We encourage you to open up your Bible and follow along with Pastor Roy as he unpacks what it means to be a peacemaker. Yesterday morning, as I was continuing to work on the, the message, I felt like I needed to change uh, the outline uh, just to try to make it as clear as I possibly could. And uh, I, I was reminded that uh, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. So if it's not clear in my own mind, then it's not going to be clear in yours. And so the desire is to make it as clear as possible. And so we continue on with our series in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And today we're going to talk about the first half of the title, uh, because this will be a two-part message, uh, the peacemaker and the persecuted. And so today we'll be focusing on the peacemaker. And so Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book a number of years ago called Mere Christianity, and in that book he has a section called Christian Behavior, and then he talks about morality in that chapter on Christian behavior, and he gives the illustration of ships. He said, if you take a, a group of ships that are going on a voyage, and he said the only way that those ships will be successful on that voyage, there's a couple things that have to happen. Number one is the ships need to be seaworthy, and they need to be able to go in such a way that they do not collide into one another, because if they collide into one another, it will cause great damage, and they won't be seaworthy for very long. The other thing he said that is necessary is they have to have engines that are in good working order. The engines have to be in good working order. If they are in good working order and the ships sail in such a way that they do not collide and have collisions on the way, they could probably make it to their destination. The point is, the only reason they would be in the water and and moving in the first place is they're going somewhere. And if we bring that over into the human element, we are all on a voyage, as it were, the sea of life, and we are moving along. The problem is the waves get a little rough sometimes, and we begin to bump into one another and cause damage. And the Bible speaks about that. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a home. It can happen with a teenager and a dad. It can happen with siblings where there's fighting and bickering going on, and then everything comes unraveled. A number of years ago, I had a phone call. I was in my office a church, and I had a phone call, and it was from a wife, and she said her husband was planning to move out, he's got a suitcase, and I'm ready to help him pack. That's where they were. I said, well, put him on the phone and let me, let me talk with him. She said, you'll need to call back, he's, on a, he's, on, he's upstairs, and so they weren't even speaking, and had, they'd been married a number of years, and And so I went over to their house and spent about four hours at their dining room table. Both were believers in Jesus Christ. 
Uh, but they came to a head, and they were ready to call it quits. And I had to look at them, and I had to say, you're both believers in Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Is God big enough for your marriage or not? It can't be yes, he is, and no, he's not. He's either big enough for your marriage or he's not. And before you answer that question, you need to think about this. If he is not big enough for your marriage, you don't have a very big God. And if you come to the point where you decide that you are going to part ways, because they had several children, I said then you have to think about the implications of what you are teaching your children. Because here's what you're teaching your children. When they get old enough to marry and have a spouse, and they get into marital conflict and strife, they can get divorced too, because that's what mom and dad did. So if that's the kind of legacy you want to leave, you better think about it before you decide to call it quits. And so for four hours, we came together. And the beautiful thing was, they began to each look at their offenses that they caused and began to seek forgiveness, and God healed that marriage. And I praise God for that. He can do that. But it takes, we need to be peacemakers. You know, if we look in our world today, we, we hear the words Ferguson, Missouri. And immediately our minds go to that story about the black teenager that was shot, unarmed. And we can go on and on with these stories. And so we ask the question, where do these fights and quarrels come from? Well, the Bible tells us where they come from. And right before I, let me, let me give you these questions here. First of all, what is a peacemaker? What does a peacemaker look like? And what does a peacemaker do? And so before we answer these questions, I hope to answer these this morning, is let's look at this. James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You see, if we're generally seeking the mind and heart of God, we're not going to allow the lust within us to control us and cause the fights and quarrels that come because it comes from the lust within us, the coveting spirit that is within us that battles against the Spirit of God. And it's vital that we understand that. Somebody said that keeping peace in the family requires patience, love, understanding, and at least two television sets. <laughs> you know, because they just have trouble getting along. Somebody said the argument you just won with your wife isn't over yet. <laughs> You know, it just, it, we just want to continue on. So I want us to look at the profile of a peacemaker this morning. The profile of a peacemaker. The first thing is this. A peacemaker is one who has experienced peace with God. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, I probably need to go back so you can get that. Peacemaker is one who has experienced peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is important. What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be made right with God? Here's what it means. It means to be declared righteous by God. See, here's the deal. Roy Burkett has sinned against God. I have broken God's law. I have violated God's law. I am guilty, and through that guilt, I have been convicted of my sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has convicted me. I feel guilty inside. I've broken God's law, and that conviction is there, and I confess that sin to God, and I say, God, I'm sorry I've broken your law. I deserve eternal wrath, eternal judgment, eternal punishment, but you and your grace have forgiven me. And in essence, God has paid the penalty for my sin. It would be like me going out and breaking the speed limit in a great way, way over the speed limit to the point where they throw me in jail. And I'm thrown in jail and I go before the judge and there's a fine that I can pay to get out of jail. And somebody comes forward on my behalf and says, you know what, I'm going to pay the fine for you. And he pays off the fine And the judge says, now you're free, and I treat you as a law-abiding citizen. That's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The justification, he has declared me righteous, that I'm a law-abiding citizen. Now, the difference between God's forgiveness and the world's is that speeding record will probably still be on my record. But in the eyes of God, it's been wiped clean. (laughs) I've been forgiven of that sin, and I am declared righteous in God. And so as I'm being declared righteous, now I have a desire to live a righteous life, to be sanctified before God, and to honor Him with my life. Notice he says, being justified how? Through faith. Through faith in what? Through faith in the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross for sin. He shed His blood for sin. He paid the penalty for sin that he died and was buried, and the third day he rose from the dead. That is the power of the gospel. I have been justified through faith, Roy Burkett, putting his faith in the gospel. You have been saved by putting your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the content of the gospel that Jesus lived, he died for sin, and he was buried. He rose from the dead the third day, according to the scriptures. And therefore, we're justified in that way. Our peace with God, notice, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God. Now my sin has been forgiven. I've been cleansed of my sin. I'm justified, declared righteous before God. Now I have peace with God. What a wonderful thing that is. And that is vital. If I am going to be a peacemaker... It will come as a result of me being at peace with God first. That is the key. I don't have this verse on the PowerPoint, but I would encourage you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you Listen to this, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. How did Christ reconcile me? 
by his physical body through death to present me holy before God. The only reason I stand in holiness before God is because Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I recognized that, and I said, God, I'm guilty. I deserve eternal wrath, eternal judgment. But God, in his grace and mercy, has forgiven me when I threw myself at his mercy. And he'll do the same thing for you. That's the only way we can be absolved of our guilt and our sin. He tells us we cannot justify ourselves. Look at this verse. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace, who has made the two one. Now here he's talking about Jew and Gentile. Remember the Jews and Gentiles hated each other, bitterly hated each other. He has taken Jew and Gentile and made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. There was a barrier between them, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God. How? Through the cross. To be a peacemaker, we have to come to the cross. There's no other means of reconciliation apart from the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. How does a person move from hostility to harmony? Through the cross. That and that alone. He came and preached peace to those who were near. The couple that was struggling in their marriage. What did I take them back to? The cross. Of what Jesus did for them. If what Jesus did on the cross for you is sufficient for you, and it's sufficient for you, you should be able to come together in harmony at the cross. You should be able to do that, to surrender yourself, your will, to the will of God. Now, they had created offenses toward one another, and they had to seek forgiveness for those offenses, but forgiveness is found at the cross. It is absolutely found at the cross. In commenting on the peace of God, Spurgeon testified, I look at Christ, and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove of peace, and it flew away. Looking at Christ is the key. Let's look at the second one here. A peacemaker is one who is involved in the ministry of reconciliation. If Jesus was involved in the ministry of reconciliation by giving his life on the cross so that two could become one, and we are to be like Jesus Christ, then we are to be peacemakers And we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We do not have a choice in even whether or not we want to be involved in a ministry of reconciliation. That should be the heart and passion of every believer in Jesus Christ. That we are involved in a ministry of reconciliation. It is absolutely vital that we have that. So here's what we say about a peacemaker. A peacemaker is a mediator who tries to bring about harmonious relations between two opposing parties. Harmonious relations between two opposing parties. Those opposing parties move from hostility toward one another to love and harmony. 
And the only way that can happen is God working in one heart and God working in another heart. And we're going to look at a beautiful illustration of this in the Bible in a few moments. A mediator. God has made us to be mediators of this. If we look in 2 Timothy, or uh, 2, uh, well, let me say this. A peacemaker is motivated by the love of Christ to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Why do I even want to be involved in helping somebody in a conflict? Because that is what God has called me to and he's called you to, to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. That means I should have a list of lost people that I am praying for that they will one day be reconciled to God. I mean, that is my heart and passion that people will be reconciled to a holy God, to make peace with God through Jesus Christ. I have no other real need to be here if that's not my desire and passion. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, Jesus, and therefore all died. We all died because of sin, Jesus died for sin, that one person died for everyone who was already dead because of sin. Now here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.16, for when I preach the gospel about Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, being at the right hand of the Father, for when I preach the gospel I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Why? Because it is the only message of reconciliation we have. There's no other way for a sinner to get rid of his sin other than Jesus' death on the cross, to be reconciled to God. There's no other means that that can happen. And so we have to be a part of that. Here, Paul says, I am eager not to build a name for myself, not to give myself fame and glory, uh, not only for the sake of seeing others reconciled to God, and I have an overwhelming moral compulsion to do it. Paul said it's a necessity. You know, there's very few things in life that are a necessity. Most people say pay taxes and die. Those are a couple necessities. Well, there's a couple more, like breathing. Breathing is a necessity. If you stop breathing, you're not going to live real long, right? It is a necessity. Paul is almost equating, really in a sense, of sharing the gospel with breathing. Paul says, I have to breathe to stay alive. And he says, for me to be a peacemaker, I am absolutely compelled to be a person who brings the message of reconciliation because if I don't, he's saying my conscience will be wounded. Because here's what I know. Paul says, I know that if somebody doesn't embrace the gospel, they will spend eternity in hell. And if I had a chance to tell them and I didn't tell them, I do not want that on my conscience. I won't be able to live with myself. That's what Paul was saying. I won't even be able to live with myself knowing that I had an opportunity to share the gospel. I didn't share it, and that person could have perished. That's pretty strong. Paul had that desire. He's saying, if I don't do it, I am violating my very conscience. Not to preach the gospel I know to be true. Because Paul remembered when he was lost. He remembered when he was rebelling against God, rebelling against the church, and that light from heaven shone, 
and convicted him of his sin and he gave his life to Jesus Christ and totally transformed his life. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who live, boy, this is big, should no longer live for themselves. What do we see in our culture today? And why is there so much anger and fighting and bickering and arguing? Because people are living for themselves. He says, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, to be a peacemaker, we come back to the cross. I don't live for myself. I die to self that I might be a messenger of reconciliation. Let's go on. Oh, actually, right before I do this wonderful picture of reconciliation, listen to these verses, and, and, and I would encourage you to turn to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 16 to 19. Paul says, so from now on, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Did you hear that? That means when I see an obnoxious, belligerent, irritable person who is absolutely miserable in their sin, I don't look at them as a dirt and dirty, rotten, filthy sinner, I see a person who needs to be reconciled to God. I see a person who is at odds with God and does not have peace with God, and my heart is broken over that. I am broken over that. Because God has called me to a ministry of reconciliation. And what if I was in their shoes? How would I want somebody to approach me? Would I want them to judge me or would I want them to reach out with a message of love and of the gospel, of reconciliation? That's exactly what I would want. And I would want to bring that to them. And so he says, from now on, since I've become at peace with God, I regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God totally transforms our life. And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ. Not through good works, not through baptism, not through church attendance. Through Christ. And gave us... God has given us, and we are to be good stewards of the ministry of reconciliation, to be a peacemaker. That is what God has called us to do. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what he's called us to, is to be a peacemaker. And it starts in our home, with our wives, with our children. And when it means this message of reconciliation, it means to restore someone to favorable or friendly relations with another after a presumed wrong. Now, let me give you a wonderful picture of reconciliation from the Bible. This is not only a wonderful picture of reconciliation between two brothers but it is also a picture of what a peacemaker does. The story that I'm talking about is the story of Esau and Jacob. 
If you get time this afternoon or this week, I would encourage you to read through this story. In the early years, Jacob was growing up with his older brother Esau, and his mother, Rebekah, whispers in Jacob's ear and says, you need to go into your father and steal your brother's blessing. So what does Jacob do? The deceiver that he is, his name, deceiver, conniver, he gets himself dressed up all in animal skin, puts hairy stuff on his arms because his brother is hairy, his brother is an outdoorsman, now he smells like an outdoorsman with this animal skin on, his father is almost blind, he goes into his father who's blind and he can't see and he says, Esau, is this Esau my son? And, and he proceeds to ask for the blessing and Isaac blesses the younger son. Jacob leaves. Later, Esau comes in. He brings a wonderful dinner into his father. He says, Father, bless me. And then he realizes what happened. He was tricked and deceived. And Esau is very upset by what has happened. And Esau says to his father in Genesis 27, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's rich, richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And then it says in Genesis 27, 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob, his brother, because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob and Esau then part ways for 20 years. 20 years. And you can only imagine... What's happened, if you've ever held a grudge against somebody, you do that day after day and week after month, week, month after month, year after year, and it almost, you can almost guarantee you know when the anniversary is. Five years ago or four years ago and six months and three days and this is what happened to me. And you relive that event over and over and over. For 20 years, there was grudges. But the amazing thing is, over those 20 years, God began to melt and work in the hearts of those two brothers. And here's what happened. Jacob, in chapter 32 of Genesis, says this to God, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Now, what do you notice there in Jacob's heart? Humility, brokenness, the grace of God that he doesn't deserve. Totally. Grace, humility, understanding God's forgiveness. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. He said, I only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. Jacob puts together a very generous gift 
a peace offering, as it were, for Esau in the form of cattle, goats, rams, donkeys, and camels. When Jacob finally lays eyes on his brother Esau for the first time in 20 years, Jacob bows down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. Talk about humility, bowing before him. And in Genesis 33, 3, it says, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. What a peacemaker. He was the one who was offended, and instead of waiting to see what his brother was going to do, the offended party ran to his brother who offended him and stole the blessing and embraced him and wept over him, in essence saying, I forgive you. Wow. A peacemaker. God had worked in his heart as well. Esau looks up and he sees the women and children. He says, who are these with you? Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Again, you hear the humility coming through Jacob. Jacob attempts to give this extravagant gift to Esau, but Esau replies in Genesis 33, 9, I already have plenty. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. He didn't want anything except his brother's love and forgiveness. See, here's the deal. When we are reconciled to God, we desire to be reconciled to one another. When I have experienced peace with God and I have the peace of God in my heart, I will be a peacemaker. I will be a peacemaker. A peacemaker will overlook an offense. A person's wisdom, the Bible says, yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19, 11. A peacemaker does not hold grudges. And a peacemaker pursues peace. Let's stand for a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I have a question for you. Are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? How can you be a peacemaker? We have to go back to point number one. A peacemaker is one who has experienced peace with God. And as you are standing here this morning in the presence of God, the question is, have you made peace with God? Or are you still embracing your sin? If you are embracing sin in your life, you are not at peace with God. Even if you're a believer, you're not at peace with God. Because you have sin and it separates us from God. And I am thankful as a young boy, I realized that I was a sinner before God. I was guilty. God convicted me of my sin. And I said, God, I'm sorry. And I haven't lived a perfect life, but I can tell you this. God has changed me from the inside out. 
And that's why even as a teenager, I didn't have to run to alcohol, drugs, sex, all that stuff. It spares you. Here's what it does. That's why there's peace in your heart. (laughs) You don't have all that junk in there. But even if you have experienced all that junk, guess what? God can wipe the slate clean this morning if you will give your life to Jesus Christ. It's all about control. Are you in control of your life or is God in control of your life? Surrendering to him. Therefore, being justified, declared righteous by faith, faith in the gospel, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, was buried, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He made peace through his cross. You cannot make peace with God any other way. I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your day, this is your opportunity to do that, to make peace with God. And when you do that, you will become a peacemaker. The peace of God will reign and rule in your heart. And that's what Paul told the Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that's what he wants to do. So I would encourage you right there in your seat, if you have questions about what it means to embrace Christ into your life and receive this gift of salvation, I want to encourage you to seek me out after the service or somebody else that you can talk to, that you can have a relationship with Jesus. We want that more than anything. Secondly, a peacemaker is one who is involved in the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we are looking for ways to pursue peace in our own lives, and we're looking for ways to help others make peace with God. That's my desire. Do you have a neighbor, coworker, friend, acquaintance? Have you talked to them? about reconciliation with God, to be a peacemaker. It doesn't just mean living peacefully, but I think we have to share. Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He said, I will violate my conscience if I don't do it. He was that compelled May God help us as I think toward the Super Summer Jam this summer. And we have an opportunity to serve in our community. We have an opportunity to share the message of reconciliation, to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Why? To be a peacemaker and to reach out to those who are still hostile toward God. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask one more time, is this the day of salvation for you? Where salvation will come to your heart and you will finally be at peace with God. So that when you pillow your head, you know where you're going to spend eternity. And not only that, but you have someone who will live inside of you and guide you and give you strength that you do not have. Let's pray.
We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.